when you listen and you can get a deeper understanding and relationship with someone, it's far more profound, even if the numbers are smaller than the number that appears on some social media website. I would not pursue a social media strategy right now. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Gary Arndt, the host of Everything Everywhere Daily. Before Gary launched Everything Everywhere Daily in July 2020, he spent the previous 13 years traveling around the world. His travels have taken him to over 200 countries and territories and all of the 50 U.S. states twice. Gary's blog, Everything Everywhere, was named one of the top 25 blogs in the world by Time Magazine. He has also appeared in USA Today, The New York Times, The BBC, and National Geographic. Gary is also one of the world's most accomplished travel photographers. He was named Travel Photographer of the Year in 2014 by the Society of American Travel Writers and in 2013 and 2015 by the North American Travel Journalists Association. He is also a three-time Lowell Thomas Award winner, which is considered to be the Pulitzer Prize for Travel Journalism. Gary currently hosts and produces the Everything Everywhere Daily podcast. It features stories of people, places, and things covering a wide variety of topics, including history, science, and geography. The podcast gets over 1 million downloads a month and has a loyal worldwide following. Listen in for some great takeaways about a life of joy around the things you love to do most and sharing it with the world. So I have the pleasure today of being with Gary Arndt, the host of Everything Everywhere Daily. I am so excited for our conversation. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. So listen, I want our audience to get a sense of who you are, what you're about. So can you tell us who is Gary Arndt? How did you get to where you are today? Oh, that's kind of a long story. High school and college, I was probably best known as one of the top academic debaters in the United States. Was recruited to college to do that, placed in the top 10 in the United States my junior and senior years. Started a very early internet company in the 1990s that I sold before the dot-com bubble burst. After that, I went back to school for a few years, studied geology and geophysics, realized that I didn't want a career in academia. So I catch the idea of selling my house to travel around the world for a year or two. Well, that ended up turning into 13 years. And my last international trip was literally at the start of the pandemic. I arrived home on February 28th, 2020, got COVID the first week of March, and then my entire Life kind of got turned upside down as I had been in the travel and tourism industry. I had a very popular travel blog. I was a very accomplished travel photographer. All my contracts disappeared. All the traffic to my website dried up. All the affiliate sales I had going on went to literal zero. 
I know some high-ranking people in the world of travel and I talked to them. And I initially, like a lot of people thought that back in March of 2020, that this would be over in a few weeks. And they said, no, this is going to be years to play out. And I realized I had to do something. So I made a pivot, not completely away from travel, but I still have one foot in it. But it allowed me to talk about a lot more than travel. And so I launched the podcast, Everything Everywhere Daily. And Everything Everywhere was the name of my blog that I've been using since 2006, well before the movie came out. And I created a daily educational podcast that covers history, science, mathematics, do biographies of people. Every day is something completely different and just things that I'm interested in. And I figured, well, if I'm interested in these things, and there have to be other curious people out there that would probably be interested as well. So on July 1st, 2020, I started the show and I've been doing it daily ever since, done over 1,100 episodes. And the podcast is now getting over a million downloads a month. Amazing. Did you ever think that this is where you would be when you were making that pivot back in March, April, May of 2020? Yes. <laughs> I had set goals. I mean, I'd been podcasting for a long time. The podcast we were doing was just more of a, it wasn't very serious. We never made a dime off of it. There's me and two other co-hosts, but I'd been doing it a long time. I knew it very well. And I also knew people that had very successful podcasts, and I've talked with them. One of the things that constantly came up was the benefits of doing a daily format. Doing a daily show is not easy, but there's enormous payoffs if you can pull it off. And given in the depths of the pandemic, I had nothing going on. So the work wasn't a problem. So I just threw myself into it. And it's been very good ever since. Amazing. So let's go backwards a little bit, because I read in early 2007, you sold your home in Minnesota with the goal of traveling the world for about a year. And, and you talked about this earlier, and then you decided to really travel indefinitely. What inspired your decision to stay on the road and not have it come to an end after a year? The world's really big. <laughs> it took me six months just across the Pacific Ocean just island hopping between all the little island countries. A lot of people going on a round of world tour, all they'll do is hit some of the high points. They'll go to like major cities, different countries, and that's their tour. But I was going everywhere. I was going to very obscure places, very remote places that just kind of never ended. And, and the blog that I started also became popular as well. I think in large part because I was visiting so many obscure places at a time when few people were doing that. Travel blogs weren't a big deal back then. The term digital nomad hadn't existed yet. In 2010, Time Magazine named me one of the top 25 blogs in the world. That helped. So it allowed me to keep traveling. Eventually, the tourism industry, which is a notoriously backwards industry, warmed up to the internet. I mean, which literally, as all this stuff was happening online, they were years behind, still thinking that print magazines were the future as they were dying off. In many circles, that's still the case today. But yeah, I was able to keep traveling. I eventually did get an apartment towards the very end before the pandemic, but I was still on the road like half of the year to a third of the year. So still a lot of time traveling. That's amazing. I mean, we talk with the families we serve all the time about traveling and, and being able to take that on. And the fact that you're able to do that is just amazing. I mean, many people really dream of embarking on long-term travel, but really, I think they find it a challenge to make that leap, right? 
if I'm someone or for someone who may be thinking about taking some type of long-term travel and maybe even just the year like you talked about embarking on originally, what advice do you have for somebody like that that's looking to embark on that kind of experience? Well, I think everybody should travel for at least a three-month stretch at some point in their life. Travel extensively. The best time to do it is between some major event in your life. It could be between college and getting a job. It could be between jobs. It could be at a point when you're moving. It could be after you retire. But there's some point in your life where you're going to have an opportunity to do it. And the reason why those are good points to do it is because you could sell your home and then put your stuff in storage. And while you're in between selling one home and buying another, you basically don't have a lot of the expenses that you would otherwise have. Travel can actually be really cheap. What makes it expensive for most people is the fact that when they go on vacation, it's not like they get a refund. It's like you don't call the mortgage company and say, hey, I'm not going to be home for two weeks. So we're just not going to pay two weeks worth of the mortgage. It doesn't work that way. But if you could actually put a trip in between these points in your life where you're not paying for mortgage, rent, utilities, insurance, gas, all the other things that add up in life, then it can be really cheap. A lot of it depends on where in the world you travel as well. If you insist on only staying in five-star hotels in Europe, you're probably going to be spending a lot of money. Whereas if you're willing to stay in smaller guest houses in somewhere like Central America or Southeast Asia, you'll be shocked at just how little it costs to travel. So what I'm hearing is basically you can make it work if you want to, to fit that budget. You know, it, yes. it could almost be a wash. And I guess, again, it depends on where you live today and then where you're going and how you're going to travel. But in many cases, there are ways that if you do it right, you can almost design a way that your loss of expenses that you're going to have by selling the house and downsizing all those material things that you're not going to have to upkeep would equal whatever that experience would look like on the other end. So cost-wise, it's really not as big a hurdle as many people may think. After I sold my business, I bought a 3,000-square-foot house, beautiful place, on a lake, by myself. One guy can't live in 3,000 square feet. Most of it was empty. It was furnished like a bachelor. After I sold it, I realized I just don't need to live in something this big again. You can make it work. A lot of people just have it as a wish, like, oh, someday we'll do that. And there are no concrete plans. But the moment you put a concrete plan into place, it's like, okay, 2025, we're doing this. And a lot of times, even the most obscure places in the world are actually not hard to get to. You just have to buy a ticket to get there. If you just take some concrete step and say, okay, this is the time we're going to do it. It took me about a year and a half to sell my house and to kind of unravel all the stuff I had going in my life before I was able to start traveling. So I'm certainly not saying you could just drop everything and do it, but it is something you can do if you set it as a priority. With proper time and planning, it sounds like it's something that you can easily execute over time, right? Not right away. So you talked about launching the Everything Everywhere Daily podcast really was out of a framework of a pivot. When you initially embarked upon that, did you have any thoughts of monetizing it or was it really just a venture that would allow you to continue talking about things that you enjoy talking about? It was a business from day one. From the very first episode, I had an ad in it, even though nobody was buying ads. What I did is I just created my own ads for products that I had on travel photography, as well as for affiliate programs that I just signed up for. But the point is from day one to get people accustomed to the fact that this was a podcast that had ads. 
It took me about 18 months to develop an audience big enough where I got the attention of networks. And then another 12 months after that, where I was able to get the attention of major networks where I could really start monetizing it. That's kind of where I am right now. So things are going pretty well on the monetization front. And the beautiful part is podcast scale. So I could increase the size of my audience tenfold without really increasing my workload tenfold. And as it is right now, I'm doing everything. I don't even have assistants or a staff. So there's very little overhead. You're looking at my studio and the cost of equipment for a podcast is very low. One of the advantages I say that I had is that I had no choice. One of the best things you can do to be successful in a business is a sense of desperation that you have to make it work. No plan B. Yes. And the reason why so many podcasts fail is because it's just a side thing that someone decides to do. And when something comes up and something always does come up, the podcast gets put aside and then it's forgotten and then it's abandoned. I made this the core of everything that I was doing. And now it's grown enough where I can now think about doing other things around it with money-making ventures as well. So you lead me right to the next thing I'm really curious about, right? Because as somebody who, myself, who struggles to write, right, how do you find inspiration each day? Because again, this isn't a weekly even, it's not a bi-week, not a month, it's a daily show. So how do you find the inspiration each day to come up with new, fresh, interesting content? When I started the show, the first thing I did is I wrote a list of 100 show ideas. Many of those original 100, I've yet to even do episodes on. And over time, it just keeps growing. And one show will beget five new ideas for other shows. So for example, minutes before we started this conversation, I was finishing up writing today's show, which is about Alma Mahler Gropius Warfel, who was this woman who married three of the top artists of the early 20th century, had affairs with many others, and had this very fascinating and interesting life. And that was an idea I originally got from a Tom Lehrer song that he recorded back in 1965. I just had it on the list and I thought, oh, okay, this would be a good thing to do. And there's almost 950 show ideas that I have. So like today's show, I was writing it and I was writing about Walter Gropius. I was like, he founded the Bauhaus School, which was one of the things that really influenced a lot of modern design in the 20th century of things like furniture and architecture. If you've ever seen a Bauhaus inspired object, you'd know it immediately probably seen a lot of it. But I thought, okay, this is worth an episode of its own in the future because I've actually been to the Bauhaus school in Weimar in the course of my travels. So that was one example how one thing leads to another, even though they may not even be that closely related. Has the dailiness of the podcast, has that put a crimp on your ability to travel and do other things at this point? Or is that something you're prepared to do on the road? Yeah, I haven't been out of the United States since the pandemic started. And I certainly could travel now, but I've kind of caught lightning in a bottle with the podcast, so I want to keep riding it until I can. Could I do this on the road? Yeah, I certainly could, and I probably will at some point. It's just that right now, the podcast has been my focus. It's doing really well, and I want to keep it growing. So, And, and like I tell people, I've traveled a lot. <laughs> so I would say a very, very high probability that I'm the best traveled person you may have ever met. So it's not like... It's something I need to get out of my system. I've done a lot of it. So I will travel again. But right now, this is what I want to be doing. So I'm going to keep doing it. So you definitely are the most traveled person I've ever spoken to. You know, you traveled to over 100 countries, all seven continents. What are some lesser known destinations that you believe you found on your travels that more people should know about or think about visiting as well? 
There's one place I always mention when I do interviews, and I mention it because I know no one's going to actually listen and go there. It's one of the greatest national parks in the world, and it's accessible for most Americans. It's Nahani National Park in the Northwest Territories of Canada. It's quite a bit of a drive, but when you get close, there are actually no roads connecting the park, which is why it only gets 800 visitors a year. There are more people entering Yellowstone or Yosemite in an hour in peak season than enter this park in a year. And it's one of the greatest national parks in the world. When it was put on the UNESCO World Heritage List, it was done so alongside the Galapagos Islands and Yellowstone, just to give you an idea. And almost no one knows about it. How far do you have to, how close, I should say, can you get via car before you have to embark on getting there? There are two places you can get in a plane, a float plane that will take you there. One is Fort Simpson, Northwest Territories, and the other is Lake Muncho in Northern British Columbia from either end that will fly in. But because you have to take that extra step, most people don't do it. And that is really the problem with a lot of tourism. There's been a problem lately called over-tourism. And over-tourism is, is really a problem of too many people visiting the same place at the same time. So, for example, one of my favorite islands in the Caribbean is the island of Dominica. Dominica is the least visited country in the Western Hemisphere. The reason is because it's a very mountainous island, and they can't put in a very large runway for large jets to land. So if you have a large jet flying in from Europe or Miami or someplace, they can't land there. So they have to land in a nearby island like Martinique, Guadeloupe, or St. Lucia. And from there, it's a short ferry ride or a short flight over. We're talking like a 15, 20-minute flight, very short. But because it requires that extra step, most people don't bother going there. And Dominica is a incredibly beautiful island, arguably the most beautiful in the Caribbean. It has 365 rivers, one for every day of the year, hot springs. It's great. And no one goes there. Sounds great. There are places in the Pacific as well that I always recommend. Samoa is one of my favorite countries in the world, and most Americans would never think to go there. A place like Fiji, they've probably heard of. What a lot of Americans don't realize is they're down, because most of their visitors come from Australia and New Zealand. Their winter is our summer and vice versa, which means the North American winter is their low season, which means you can actually see lower crowds and probably better deals than you could. The only trick is, again, it's a long flight from LA to Nandi and Fiji, but you arrive in the morning, it's flying west instead of east, which I've found usually is better for jet lag. And again, a lot of people go there and I could go through this with places all over the world that people just don't know about. And I think a lot of it is due to a lack of imagination. Most Americans couldn't tell you the name of a city in France outside of Paris, but there's a lot of great things. So if you're going to France, you're probably, most Americans will probably end up going to Paris. So what I'm hearing is if you want to see really interesting places and perhaps not go to that over tourist attraction type environment is look for those opportunities where there might be a higher hurdle to get to that location because most people aren't really willing to take that extra step. And you could probably find a very unique and enjoyable place to visit, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're traveling to Europe, Dubrovnik has become a city with tons of tourists, but no more than, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 miles away is the city of Kotor in Montenegro, also right on the sea. Looks a lot like Dubrovnik. Gets a fraction of the number of tourists. And Montenegro is way cheaper than Croatia is right now, especially Dubrovnik. All over, you can find these fantastic places to visit. And again, I think a lot of it is travel is a skill. Mm -hmm. Insofar as you develop confidence, the more you travel. 
And a lot of people, if they're not well-traveled, are not very confident in visiting places due to language or they have fears. Because the only thing we hear about most countries in the news is if something bad happens. If there isn't something bad happening, we don't hear anything about it at all. Our perception of many places is that it's dangerous and unsafe, when in reality, there's a good chance that people living in the U.S. may be living in a city that's far more dangerous than most of these countries are. Agree. This extensive travel experience that you've had, how has that shaped your perspective on the world? Because I have to imagine it's had to have an impact in that regard, spending as much time as you have outside of the borders of this country. Oh, it absolutely has. When I hear about things in the news, they tend to resonate with me a bit more because there's a good chance I've been to that place. So if a natural disaster strikes some country, it's usually just something happened to some people somewhere that the name of the country and the place doesn't really matter because you're not familiar with it. When you've been there, you know, oh, that was that street. That was that building. And it brings things home in a much more visceral way as if it kind of happened to your hometown, a place where you know, you know the buildings, you know the shops. So yeah, like there, there have been things happening in Sri Lanka. And I was in Sri Lanka, one of my last trips before the pandemic. And literally there was a terrorist attack in the restaurant where I went to breakfast at the hotel every morning while I was there. I'm pretty sure some of the people I met every morning, the hostesses and the staff were killed in that attack. That does something to you and is more meaningful in a way than if you just hear something random on a news in a place that you're unfamiliar with. I'm imagining a lot of these places that you hear about, you are familiar with because you've had an experience at some point probably traveling there in, in many respects. Yeah, or talking to people that express a very vehement opinion about a place they've never been. You know, when people talk about the Middle East, depending on what they say, I'll ask them, well, when was the last time you were there? Nine times out of 10, they've never been there. What they know about a place is through kind of these vague general stereotypes of it that they kind of paint with a very broad brush that they get from the media. And they don't really understand what the place is like. And that occurs all the time. A good example is uh, a couple of years ago, there was an Ebola outbreak in the nation of Sierra Leone. There were people canceling trips to South Africa because of what was happening in Sierra Leone. Africa is really big. Sierra Leone is closer to London than it is to Cape Town. And people were canceling trips to Cape Town because it's in Africa, which made absolutely no sense. But because they have no semblance of Africa and where Sierra Leone is and the other things, they were making decisions that made absolutely no sense. Yeah, I think that happens a lot, right? In life, broad generalizations based upon a specific statement and causes situations like that. I think it happens very often, not only in travel, but in life in general. We see it all the time. I just did an interview with a podcaster who was in Argentina. She was living in Buenos Aires. And she would often get things from her friends and family saying, oh, is it safe there? Are you all right? And I said, here's what you do. Next time something happens in the United States that's bad, give it a week, all right? Call up your friends and family and ask them if they're okay, because you heard something happened in America. And we don't think of it that way. If something happens in New York and you live in California, that's way over there, right? But from the perspective of someone who lives outside of it, you could say, well, it's all just the United States which is what we do to other countries. So if we hear of something that happens in Mexico, we paint all of Mexico with the same brush. 
where in reality, Mexico is a really big country. And what happens in the north near the border is very different than what happens in the Yucatan. Agreed. So I want to kind of bring this down on a business level for a minute because you have a significant social media following, right? And I think to the degree that a lot of businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs, they strive for that type of following. How do you leverage your platforms to inspire and connect with fellow travelers around the world? Because it's a great tool to do that. So share with us, because I think it's applicable to a lot of different businesses and a lot of different opportunities to utilize a similar strategy in a similar way for them. Okay, here's the honest truth. So I have six-figure followings on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I even almost had 2 million followers on Google+. It's mostly garbage. I had a very early verified account on Twitter, which resulted in tons of spam accounts and bots that followed me. Same is true on Facebook. I don't even use social media that much anymore. Podcasting is such a superior vehicle for developing a following and getting a message across than social media. They're not even in the same ballpark. People become enamored with social media because there's a number next to your name. And the association is if I can get that number bigger, then somehow I can make more money, get a following or or whatever. And it doesn't really work that way. Ultimately, whether or not someone sees your message is determined not by the number of followers you have, but by an algorithm. And Facebook has, over time, continued to decrease the organic reach of everything you do to the point that if you have 100,000 people following, you are not going to reach anything close to 100,000 people. You might not even reach 100 people because what they want you to do is promote it and spend money which at that point, you're just buying ads and there was no point in developing a following to begin with. The same is now true with all the changes that have been implemented on Twitter. Instagram has kind of become the same thing. The beauty that I found in podcasting, and by the way, I don't even promote my podcast that much on social media anymore because I found there's almost no relationship between posting stuff and getting people to listen. But having someone listen to your voice for an extended period of time establishes authority, expertise, experience in a way that you cannot do as a disembodied text message or an image on social media. Even on TikTok or Instagram Reels or something like that, where you can have a short video, it's so ephemeral and brief. Can you tell me the last 10 things that you liked on social media? Not at all. No. I asked this question to everybody and no one can remember it. The question is, if it's all ephemeral and it doesn't stick with you, then what was the point? Whereas with podcasting, for example, I get emails and reviews all the time from people, people that listen with their family and their children. This one woman just said, my daughter was having a discussion about the isotope polonium 210 at our dinner table the other day. It's like that never would have happened if it wasn't for your podcast. So when you listen and you can get a deeper understanding and relationship with someone, it's far more profound, even if the numbers are smaller than the number that appears on some social media website. So to be completely honest, I would not pursue a social media strategy right now. I mean, by all means, have an account, but I don't think it's all it's cracked up to be, and it's not what it was 10 years ago, because these companies have constricted your ability to get your message out so much that I don't think I would make that the center of any sort of marketing policy. I agree with you with podcasting specifically, again, whether the numbers are big like yours at a million downloads a month or even smaller, I think the fact is whatever the size of it is, 
you have a niche audience that you are connecting with. And that's really what it comes down to. That's the importance. You can have 500 downloads a month, but if they're the right 500 people that you want to connect with, then that's a great project. That's something that's really adding value in your thought leadership, right? Absolutely. And there are some very successful podcasters that don't have huge audiences because they have a very targeted niche with a product or service that they're trying to sell. And they're able to do it in a way probably better than any other marketing vehicle I can think of because they have a dedicated audience. For a show like yours with an investment and finance background, I can kind of take a guess as to the type of audience you have. And I'm guessing it's a very high quality audience, right? As opposed to some show that was talking about the Kardashians, they may have a much bigger following, but I don't think it's going to be as high a quality an audience, right? In terms of people who are actually interested in ideas and are willing to listen to discussions as opposed to just someone who's concerned with celebrity gossip. Agreed. Agreed. So I want to shift gears for a minute. And I have to say, one of the things that I came to learn about you, and that was through Instagram, was your photographs. Unbelievable. Really great. And they're so powerful. What I'm interested in knowing is what advice do you have for the average traveler who on their travels, wants to try to capture the beauty of the world as they go through their expeditions and their travel. Do you have any guidance for them that want to capture some of those moments? I think they'll be hard-pressed to do them in the same way you do it because I think they're fantastic. But are there things that they should be thinking about along their travels to do something to capture those moments? One of the first things is to understand how your camera works. Photography is not rocket science. It really isn't. But if you own a camera that's anything above a smartphone, there's going to be various buttons and dials on it. And those buttons and dials do things. The vast majority of people put their camera in automatic and never do anything else. What those buttons and dials do are just a few things, primarily dealing with exposure. And that's how much light's coming in the camera. And that involves the size of the aperture, how fast the shutter goes, and then also what's known as the ISO, which is the sensitivity of the sensor. And those are really the three things, and you can adjust them back and forth. And the other thing is to simply take a purposeful photo. So I see most people, and they just hold their camera out in front of them, and they just stick it in front of something and hit a button, as opposed to taking the time to think of, well, what angle, how should I do this? What should I get as a backdrop? How should I look at the light? And just taking a little bit of time to think about that can usually result in a much better photo. And the other thing I notice people do all the time is they tend to take the object of whatever they're looking at and put it dead center in the camera, in the frame. And that is probably something you don't usually want to do. You maybe want to offset it a little bit, depending on what the image is. There are times where centering it is appropriate, but you just don't necessarily want to center everything all the time. So if I use these tips, will my photographs be as good as yours or what? (laughs) Well, the other step in that is editing photos. So back in the days of film, you would take your photo, but then you also had the dark room. Most people just sent their film canister into a Walmart or something, and then they get the films back. But in the dark room, photographers would have to make creative choices. Do I want this lighter? Do I want this darker? How sharp do I want this? And those were things that most people, amateur photographers, never had to deal with. Well, the dark room today is simply on a computer. And you can use programs like Lightroom instead of Darkroom or Photoshop, or there's many of them where you can make those creative choices because the camera is not capturing reality. The camera is capturing an image 
and the light through the settings. And if you set it on automatic, it just means the camera is going to determine it, not necessarily making the right ones. So you also have to make some of those decisions in post-processing as well. And most people never bother doing that. And there's a few things you could just even hit the auto button to auto edit. And that's probably going to improve most images. Amazing. I encourage everybody to take a look at your photography. It's It's amazing. It's really breathtaking. And congratulations on that. So listen, Gary, it's been a great conversation. And we ask each of our guests the same final question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset. And we're all about joy here. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Well, I just woke up. So first thing I do every morning is I write. It allows me to write and research about whatever that day's episode is going to be. And I always get to learn something new every day. And that is the one thing that my entire podcast is about. And the thing that I encourage is that education and learning is a lifelong thing. It isn't something that is boxed into a certain period of your life when you're young. In fact, most of our learning will come after that. And if you think of most of the things in your life that you know, it probably didn't even occur in a classroom. It occurred through life experiences or things you absorbed or things you read. And everyone should have some sort of strategy or something in their life that allows them to continually learn. And my podcast is 10 minutes every day. You can learn something brand new. There are other ways to do it as well. If you don't do that, you might even be a very successful person but you'll also probably be a very dull and uninteresting person. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, the everything everywhere daily has got to be added to your queue because I think that's a great way to set up that process of learning something every day. You can guarantee yourself in basically 10 minutes or so, you'll definitely learn something for the day. So I think that's a great tip. Now, we're going to have all of your information in the show notes, but if people want to connect with you, learn more about you, I think I know what you're going to say, but what's the easiest and the best place for them to do that? Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, just search for Everything Everywhere Daily and start listening there. Awesome. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure, Gary. Thank you for coming on the show and enjoy the day. Thank you. I want to thank Gary Arndt for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Gary has taken his passion around travel and photography to the next level. He has truly created a life by design and not default. His passion and love for what he does comes through in all that he does. I highly suggest you check out his work. It is truly breathtaking. Gary Arndt and the Everything Everywhere Daily podcast can be found across all most social media platforms, as well as where you consume your podcast content. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. 
Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.